Some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. A couple of big-time contenders made some big-time moves. My name is Will Bowling, the host of the Strike Zone podcast. And on this week's episode, I'm going to give you three winners and three losers from the MLB trade deadline. Teams that made the most of their opportunities. And then I'll give you some teams that didn't. Big weekend coming up across Major League Baseball. We recap it all on episode number eight. This is the Strike Zone Podcast. Hit well out towards right field. This one climbing at altitude. This one is gone. With news and notes around Major League Baseball. Baez drives one in the air down the line and left. It's got a chance. Gone. Rounding the bases with the hottest topics from all 30 teams. Swung on, drilled to deep right. It is high. It is far. It is gone. It's a three-run home run for the Santino. And here's your host, Will Bowling. A historic trade deadline is behind us. No more waiver moves. July 31st has come and gone. And that's it. If you don't like your team now, well, sorry. They're not changing anymore. It was a big trade lo- trade deadline. It was an exciting final couple of hours yesterday on July the 31st. And we've got an exciting show for you today. To recap all of that and to also take a look forward and see... Who is positioned now for a big World Series run? I've got one team that I think everybody should be afraid of in Major League Baseball this year. As always, I'm your host, Will Bowling. Glad to have you along with us for the eighth episode of the Strike Zone podcast. And as always, you can find us anywhere you find your podcasts on the 104.5 The Zone digital network. We're here on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. And these are also online on The Zone's website, which is 1045thezone.com. But as we said last week, there's lots to discuss today. I gave you a couple of teams that needed to make some moves and maybe some that didn't in our trade deadline special a week ago. The Chicago Cubs were one of those teams. We'll talk about them in today's episode. They made some big changes and some big moves The Atlanta Braves, with the local appeal here in Nashville, they also made some big changes. The Cincinnati Reds found out they were buyers. I'll give you my take on why that's not a good thing if you're a Cincinnati Reds fan coming up. But as we always do here on the Strike Zone podcast, we start off with a couple of big headlines. This is our opener. So while trades were getting done yesterday afternoon, the Atlanta Braves and Washington Nationals played a gigantic rubber match in what was a back-and-forth series that saw Atlanta pull ahead by one game when it was all said and done. We'll fast forward to the ninth inning where it looked like the Braves were going to cruise to a victory. They led 4-2, to 
But if you're a Braves fan, you can stop me right there. Because oh so often have we seen Luke Jackson come in and make things a little bit more dramatic. With a 4-2 lead in the ninth inning, Brian Snicker this time, though, quickly pivoted away from regular closer Luke Jackson when two men reached base in the first at-bats of the inning. He'd finally seen enough. And if you're a Braves fan, like I am, you're probably pretty happy about that. So in step, Sean Newcomb, 4-2 game, runners on first and second and nobody out. And what does Newcomb do? Well, he walks the first batter he sees on four pitches. And Newcomb, mind you, still has the best walk rate of any reliever in the Braves' bullpen. Doesn't walk a lot of guys. So former Brave Kurt Suzuki puts the Nationals within one on a bases-loaded single into left field. The Nationals, though, would hold the runner at third base and would get a big double play to tie the game on the ensuing at-bat, and then Newcomb was able to strike out Brian Dozier on some high heat to end the ninth inning. So I'm sitting there watching this game here in the Zone Studios saying, all right, if you get the bases loaded with nobody out and you don't win the game right there, it's good news for Atlanta. Turns out I was right. Here's Josh Donaldson winning the game for the Braves in the 10th inning. And here's the call on Fox Sports Southeast. Fly ball well hit towards center. Robles back to the track, to the wall. He can't get it. Josh Donaldson with a home run, and Doolittle can't believe it. I've said it all season long. Josh Donaldson's a difference maker. I don't think he's the kind of guy you want in April and May, but when big games come up and there's a really big opportunity to get a hit like that, get a win like the Braves did, that's all he's done. And with the win, Atlanta now goes up to six and a half games in their advantage over the Washington Nationals and seven and a half after a loss yesterday by the Phillies on Philadelphia. So tonight it's Braves and Reds game number one, a four-game series for Atlanta back at SunTrust Park. Anthony DeSclafani and Max Freed to get another big series started off. And it'll be tonight at 7.20 Eastern, so 6.20 down there at the ballpark in Atlanta. Speaking of the Reds, in case you missed it earlier this week, you're living under a rock. Yasiel Puig goes out in a blaze of glory from his time with the Cincinnati Reds. It was the brawl heard around baseball and... Tell you what, it, a lot of people are, are saying it's it's really good for the game. I, I don't know if the fight itself is good for the game, but the attention, Major League Baseball will take it. Here's how it sounded on the Cincinnati Reds TV and radio networks. There is a serious conversation going on right now, and Garrett is hot. And now there's some serious chirping coming from the Pirates dugout. And now Garrett's on his way to the dugout, and here we go. Oh! Oh, my goodness. And Amir Garrett is outnumbered, and here we go. Both sides have cleared. Punches Amir are Garrett went thrown. flying, and they are hitting each other Punches all over the place. This is not This usually. is a real fight. They're deep involved. There are punches being thrown. Chris Archer being held back. So, yeah. It, uh, like it sounds there on the broadcast from... WLWAM, the Reds radio broadcast, and also the television broadcast. Look, that was was not pretty. 
Uh, not a good scene for the Reds. Not a good scene for Major League Baseball. Multi-game suspensions being handed out to all parties involved. And, of course, Yasiel Puy, he's not even a Red anymore. And that's the one thing I, I maybe I like about this was Puig sprinting into the pile to to throw some haymakers despite the fact that he doesn't even play for that team anymore. I think that begs the question, did, did he know he'd been traded yet? Uh, probably, but it, it's hard to know for sure. He still hadn't been taken out of the game yet. N- not a great look for the players, but sadly, you know, the where we are right now, it's not that bad for baseball. I saw a lot of casual fans commenting that this was the best thing to happen in baseball all season. I wouldn't go that far. But being the lead story on SportsCenter in July, well, I think Major League Baseball will take it. They can live with the slight PR hit for the spotlight they're getting out of that game. So, I don't know. It certainly was entertaining. I'll give him that. Amir Garrett taking on the entire Pirates dugout was was pretty spectacular, but uh, I wouldn't go far as to say it's good for the game whatsoever. So here we go into the heart of the order, our big discussion for the day. I'm going to give you three teams that were winners and three teams, well, that quite frankly weren't winners at the 2019 MLB trade deadline. And any conversation about winners, we're going to give them to you first. We're a positive show. We like to start with the good. The Houston Astros. I don't think anybody can question the fact that they stole the trade deadline from the rest of Major League Baseball in the final hour. I was actually out running some errands yesterday and was in that last 30 minutes before the trade deadline was over. I actually got the notification. I believe the report came out. I I believe I'm correct here about the Houston Astros trading for Diamondbacks starter Zach Greinke after 3 o'clock Central Time. So it's not the 11th hour. It's about the 13th hour when Houston made the biggest trade of the entire trade deadline. So let me walk you through the postseason rotation now for the Houston Astros because this is just ridiculous. Justin Verlander, Zach Greinke, and Garrett Cole, who are ranked first, fifth, and second in whip in Major League Baseball. Lefty Wade Miley will likely be the fourth starter, according to MLB.com, while Aaron Sanchez, who was also acquired on the trade deadline, coming from the Toronto Blue Jays, could move to the bullpen in the postseason to make a solid bullpen even better. So now for Jeff Lunau manages the Astros. That's two blockbuster deals. And the last time he made a deal like this for a pitcher, he won a World Series. And, yeah, that guy Justin Verlander, he's he's still pretty good, isn't he? That move came on August the 31st, which is now a deadline that no longer exists because everything has to be done by the end of July. 20 minutes after the deadline when that was announced. So MLB.com calls them the consensus winners of the trade deadline, and I would agree. Adding Zach Grinke, Aaron Sanchez, Joe Biagni, and Martin Maldonado. 30 games above 500, and they were buyers. And not just buyers. that They were all in. Here are all the chips. And they've got an eight-game lead in the AL West. Well, you can kiss that goodbye at this point. There's no chance anybody catches them in the American League West at this point. 
I think there were some worries at the back of the rotation. Article today from MLB.com agrees. Roberto Osuna hasn't quite bit himself. But this team, I, I don't think they could have made any more moves that would have made them better. According to BaseballReference.com, Greinke gives the Astros four starting pitchers with an ERA plus of more than 140 for the first time since the 1907 Cubs. Greinke, meanwhile, threw five innings of two-run ball at Yankee Stadium on Wednesday before the trade. Lunau told MLB.com after the day was over, you know, for us, Greinke was at the top of our list in order uh, in terms of players that we thought could impact our chances to win the World Series this year. And I'd say they're the odds-on favorite now. And Lunau goes on to say that he could fit in well with that club for a couple of years while they still have the entire offensive unit together. People have slept on the Astros because they've had so many injuries to Jose Altuve, to Carlos Correa, to George Springer. They are back in a big way. And I think that they are the runaway favorites right now to be your 2019 World Series champions. Number two, another winner. Team we've discussed a lot on this show, the Chicago Cubs. Nick Castellanos. Yeah, they made, they made some additions to the rotation and David Phelps. They also get some bullpen help. But I like Nick Castellanos a lot. Left fielder, right fielder, third baseman. That's the Joe Madden way. He likes to have guys that can slot in in three, four different positions. And Castellanos, who spent the last nine years in Detroit, certainly fits that mold. Here are his comments after learning he was traded, courtesy of LB.com, yesterday when he's traded to the Chicago Cubs. Here's what he had to say. First off, I'm very excited uh, to be able to you know, go to Chicago and help this team uh, in a pennant race any way that I can. And, um, you know, but I also know that, uh, you know, when all the excitement and everything slows down, you know, I'm going to miss everything that, that was in Detroit, you know, like for nine years. Anything that I know uh, besides high school baseball is Detroit Tigers. So. That's always the biggest question I have for guys that have been traded. It, how how much is it sweet compared to bitter or vice versa? You know? Like, what's the breakdown of being happy to go to a better team, but also for a guy like Castellanos who's been there for nine years? How do you, how do you balance that? Cubs entered Wednesday with a 92 weighted runs created an advanced metric against lefties and an 82 versus Southpaws since June 1st. For context, 100 in weighted runs created is considered a, the league average. So, you know, it, you're, it, it's kind of like you're hitting 220 against lefties. And I don't have the number in front of me, but uh, I'm paraphrasing. That would be the equivalent if you want to compare it to batting average. Castellanos, who spent nine years in Detroit, emotionally spoke with the reporters, as you just heard, after the move was announced. But Cubs fans are, are emotional in a good way right now. They love versatility, and now they just got a guy who can play corner outfield spots and third base, meaning more off days and more rotation against left-handed pitching and days off 
for Kyle Schwarber, David Bodie, and Albert Almora. When you look at the makeup of World Series winning teams over the past decade, there's going to be more of a push to adding guys like Castellanos. Guys like him have more value than ever. And if you just look around at the contenders in Major League Baseball right now, you look at a Marwin Gonzalez in Minnesota. You look at all of the talent that L.A. has that can do the exact same thing and play four or five positions. They've got a Chris Taylor, a Justin Turner, Max Muncy, Alex Verdugo, Jock Peterson. All those guys can play everywhere. You look at the Atlanta Braves with Johan Camargo and Charlie Culberson. They can now platoon Austin Riley and Inter Inciarte. That is the makeup of a championship-winning team. When you can slot guys in and match guys up based on who's on the mound any given day, especially in a playoff series, it's huge. Heck, look at what Brock Holt did last year for the Boston Red Sox, helping them win a World Series. Castellanos, in 82 plate appearances against lefties, is hitting 347 this year. But right now, Joe Madden says that he's in the plans as an everyday option. 100 games overall, he hit 273 with 11 homers, 37 RBIs, and a 790 OPS this year for Detroit. So I mentioned last week on this show that there weren't any big-time hitters that could get moved. This is probably the biggest name that was going to get moved, and it makes a lot of sense for a team that likes versatility as much as the Chicago Cubs. Our third winner, and I've got them as a winner, but I still think they should have done one more step, one more move, the Atlanta Braves. Braves were in desperate need of relief, and they were in desperate need of relief before Luke Jackson nearly gave up the win against the Washington Nationals that we discussed at the open of our show today. Enter Shane Green. 1.18 ERA, an all-star, and Green is going to bring a lot to the Braves' bullpen. 22 saves and 25 tries, despite the fact that he had a 5.12 ERA last year, and the underlying metrics don't love his ERA right now. But here's the plus on Green. In a ballpark that gives up a lot of home runs, He has a career-high strikeout rate, and the Braves can, quite honestly, use all the help they can get right now. A lot of people like these moves more than I do. Mark Melanson also joins the fold, a guy who's got closer experience. Chris Martin from the Texas Rangers, the 6'8 righty, who's got an ERA right at 3. I'm happy with the changes as a Braves fan, but I expected a starting pitcher. And that's where I fall right now because I don't think the Braves can win a postseason series against the Los Angeles Dodgers with a postseason rotation of Mike Soroka, Dallas Keuchel, and Julio Tehran. I just don't see that happening. Now, I could be wrong, and Mike Fultonevich could come back from AAA and provide a huge boost if he can be even just 75% of what he was last year. But I don't see that happening. Green was acquired from the Tigers in exchange for two minor leaguers, lefty Joey Wentz, the Braves' number seven prospect prospect per MLB pipeline, and outfielder Travis Demerit. 
now. They, they needed to include Wentz because the Dodgers and Nationals came in at the 11th hour and pushed up the price a little bit. It was just going to be Alex Jackson, a minor league catcher who the Braves don't see in their future, and demerit heading over to Detroit. Alex Anthopoulos said at the end of yesterday, said, you know what, we feel confident we're a better club. How much better? That's still hard to say. Even if you are better, you still have to play within the white lines and things need to break right. The Braves have put themselves in a better position to get some better breaks. I'll give them that. But Madison Bumgarner or Zach Greinke would have been the ultimate move. Melanson and Green are both under Braves control through the 2020 season, so that's a plus for Atlanta fans. That all these shiny prospects like Ian Anderson and Christian Pache, who are right on the doorstep, are going to have time to play with these guys as well. But a starter was, was needed. I think the Braves lacked the one big difference maker that would have put them over the top as a World Series contender. I think right now they're leading the second tier of teams in Major League Baseball. Right beside the New York Yankees. My first loser out of three. The Braves didn't address a rotation that has the 17th best war wins above replacement in baseball. The team chasing them, the Washington Nationals, they lead baseball with the best starting rotation in the game with a war of 15. But if you want to talk about bad starting pitching, let's talk about the New York Yankees and what Brian Cashman didn't do at the trade deadline. Cashman decided he didn't want to make any big moves and fix a starting rotation that has the worst ERA in baseball since the All-Star break at 7.51. Here are his comments as seen on MLB.com earlier this week. It wasn't for lack of effort. Um, we, you know, engaged all teams. Uh, some, you know, some players, obviously, we, we didn't match up for. Uh, other circumstances, those players weren't really available, even though they were, you know, widely talked about in the in the public setting. Um, some of them, obviously, you know, uh, had some, whether it was contract status issues or medical issues. So it's just a lot of different, you know, uh, individual uh, circumstances that basically put us in a position to, to to not be able to complete anything. You know, as my job, obviously, is constantly trying to improve this club, and and you know we're doing it for a long time, and. Um, you know, and just in terms of this circumstance, we didn't get close to anything. Um, but we certainly knocked on all doors, had a lot of ideas and exchange of ideas with clubs and in our effort to improve. Um, but the fallback has always been, we know we have a good club already. Um, and, uh, and, you know, the job is to obviously look under every rock to see if you can turn up something to add to what we already have and, uh, just, you know, didn't get that didn't get that done so basically what brian cashman's telling yankees fans is well we tried well i'm sorry but the deals you almost got done don't help you in october and and you can't tell me that the yankees can square up against the trio of zach granke justin verlander and garrett cole right now i mean heck new houston pitcher aaron sanchez might make the yankees postseason rotation if he'd been dealt to the Bronx. Now, Cashman said it was a unique deadline that felt different. 
who cares? According to Brian Hawk of MLB.com, opponents' requests were too rich for the Yankees' tastes. MLB Network insider John Heyman reported on Wednesday that the D-backs offered lefty Robbie Ray, who would have been a great fit in the Bronx, but they requested outfielder Clint Frazier and right-handed pitching prospect Clark Schmidt in addition to other prospects. Other big names, Hawk writes, like Madison Bumgarner, were unavailable despite media reports to the contrary. Meanwhile, Brody Van Wagenen and the New York Mets nearly flipped Marcus Stroman across the city of New York over to the Yankees as well. That wouldn't have probably been a good move for either team. So Zach Wheeler stays put. Noah Syndergaard stays put. Bumgarner doesn't go anywhere. And meanwhile, Cashman says that he felt comfortable walking away from everything because they weren't real opportunities. Meanwhile, the rotation remains horrible for the Yankees. Not even to mention the bullpen. This is, they're right now is a 10-game stretch for the Yankees where starters have allowed 56 earned runs in 41 and a third innings. That's a 12.19 ERA. Domingo Herman, J.A. Happ, Masahiro Tanaka were, were fine against the Diamondbacks. James Paxton has not been good recently. But the good news for New York, CC Sabathia is on his way back. They could use all the help they can get. Loser number two, the St. Louis Cardinals. And the Cardinals president of baseball operations, John Mozalak, saying he was not willing to part with some of his top minor league talent in order to get a deal done. The only thing they did was ship Jed Jerko to the Los Angeles Dodgers. According to Mark Saxon of The Athletic, there was a potential deal between the New York Mets and Cardinals for Zach Wheeler. But Mozalak was unwilling to give up Harrison Bader, who has a 195 batting average right now on his rehab stint in Memphis. And they wouldn't get rid of Tyler O'Neill either, who's been good in July, but maybe should have been offered up. Dan Buffa of KSDK in St. Louis writes that the contrast between the Astros and the Cardinals who played each other just last weekend, could not be more different right now. In fact, if you were looking at both of those teams and the moves they made blindly, you would assume that the Astros were the team that needed more of a sense of urgency because they only had a one-game lead on their rivals in the division. You wouldn't guess that the Cardinals were actually the team that's sparring for position right now with their rivals from the north side. The Cardinals still put Mosellac out there in order to give their State of the Union speeches. Whereas Buffa writes, why would you challenge your team to play better three weeks ago and then not help them out today? That's where Cardinals fans are really frustrated today is that Mosellac in his front office promised fans that if the team plays better, moves will be made. Well, so much for that. Loser number three, a little more controversial, the Cincinnati Reds. I am a believer that the worst place to be in baseball is in the middle. Either win or don't. And right now the Reds, who are currently fourth in the NL Central with a 50-56 and 56 record, decided to buy into the NL Central race with the addition of Trevor Bauer. 
Reds manager David Bell says there's no question we're committed to winning now. And by now, I mean this year, next year, the year after, and hopefully for a long time. The rotation's fine. Sonny Gray is good. You've got the young kid Castillo. You've got Bauer now. You've got Alex Wood, who's healthy. And you've now dealt Tanner Roark to the A's. But you also gave up your top prospect in Taylor Trammell, who's now a San Diego Padre. So, I don't get it. If you're committed to winning now and years from now, you needed Trammell to do that. Especially now that you've given up Yasiel Puig, who, okay, you weren't likely to resign. But if winning now is the priority, then why get rid of him? President of Baseball Operations Dick Williams said, First of all, if you work in this business and run a team, you better believe you can win against all odds. You know what? When the odds are going up against Max Scherzer in a wild card game, even if you do make the playoffs somehow, I'm sorry, but it's time to punt. It's time to run it back next year. You never go all in and give up a guy like Trammell when you aren't fully in the race. Look at the Atlanta Braves, who did not give up a single top six prospect, gave up three top 30 guys in the deepest farm system in baseball, And they're in first right now by six and a half games. They're committed to winning a World Series this year, if they can. Yet, at the same time, the Reds, who are six games below 500, gave up more than the Braves did at a lesser chance of winning a World Series. That is where you mess up your franchise for years to come. Take me out to the ball so now we finish things up with the stretch and i want to go deeper into this topic i finished off the heart of the order with there's an odd gap between buyers and sellers this year because a lot of people made it both the new york mets for instance stacked the market against themselves by signing marcus stroman from the toronto blue jays Reports are that since they didn't give up any top 100 prospects to acquire Stroman, no one was going to give them the haul they wanted for Noah Syndergaard or Zach Wheeler. Pretty simple, really. You set the precedent early in the trade market of what an arm, what a hitter is worth, right? They dictated that market themselves and then try to make more moves to sell you can't buy and sell at the same time because then if you give up too much then teams are gonna say no i'm not gonna match that price you give up too little and teams are also gonna say well then we're not gonna give you anything for your guy because you hardly gave up anything for stroman and the contenders who wanted Cindergarter Wheeler for the Mets were either in their division in Atlanta or in the city of New York over the Bronx. Then more on the Reds. The trade for Bauer comes after the Reds added Alex Wood, Tanner Roark, and Sonny Gray in the offseason. Only Gray is under contract past this year. These are moves to win now, not to rebuild. Dick Williams said, we've talked a while about emerging into this window of contention. 
I hate to say there's a date where certain things begin or end when it comes to constructing a baseball team, but right now we are in the mode of adding. And if you're a generic, neutral baseball fan right now, and I know you exist out there in Nashville, this is the benefit of the non-waiver trade deadline being gone. Most teams, or more teams have bought in. So congratulations to baseball. Congratulations to baseball fans. You've got two contenders this year that wouldn't have normally been there in past years because they had to decide sooner. And it's great for the game. It's great for Major League Baseball to make teams decide by July 31st, am I in or am I out? And this year, it just so happened that more teams were in than out because they had less time to think about it. Good for you, baseball. Bad for you, Cincinnati and New York. Well, that's going to do it for episode number eight of the Strike Zone podcast. Hope you enjoyed our trade deadline recap with more to come next week on the Strike Zone. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, or Stitcher. Go ahead and, and give us a couple of stars there. If you think it's a five-star show, give us a five-star show. If you think it's a zero-star show, maybe hold off on the rating. Send me a tweet at Will underscore Bowling. Let us know what you think, and we'll talk to you again down the road.